I'm Nyan Ramachandran. This is Dan Moore from Fangamer. And I'm Dan Stern. And, and this is Jay Play, the Players and Podcast. To J Play, the Playism podcast. I'm your host, Nanro Cheddar. I'm with, as always, Dan Stern. Howdy, doing fine here. And I'm good. I'm good. Uh, and uh, Ben Judd. So I know what an Xism is. I know what a Yism is. I know what a Zism is because I used to work at Capcom. Right. What is a Playism? Playism is uh, it's an indie-focused digital distribution platform focused on localizing indie games for foreign markets. Wow, you sound like you have uh, practiced and rehearsed that before. You have no idea how many times I've actually had to say that. (laughs) Can I hear it one more time? This time in an announcer voice? Playism is an indie-focused digital distribution platform that focuses on localizing games for foreign markets. That's pretty good. I have to admit. I have to admit. I was like, man, is he going to say it exactly the same way? What is he? Pretty damn close. That's very close. I think it missed the second indie. So, speaking of indies, whether they're big Big indie, big indie, or small indies. Uh, this is the fourth installment. Yes, yes. This is episode four of and, JPlay, and we're going to do what we did last time, which is see into the future, aren't we? We were pretty accurate last time too. That was the, that was a great part. Of I that. think so. Barely. I think the podcast slid out like thirty minutes before the actual update. <laughs> so people are like, "What are you talking about? What's this shovel knight collaboration you're mentioning?" Uh, but whatever, you know, no harm, no foul. Uh, that way people listen to the podcast hoping that there's going to be something that they hear that they shouldn't hear. Some some snippets, some kind of like extra early news. There you go. So uh, it is Monday, uh, and by the time I'm looking at this right now, we still have 11 days to go. We are at 3,086,000. Uh, I've also gotten an update that at this time we had 71,000 in PayPal. Wow, that's that is awesome. So we are cruising along, uh, and the other piece of news that I found out is that the biggest video game specific Kickstarter, Torment Tides of <coughs> uh, that day to day compared to us has just fallen to second place, and we are number one. That is awesome. And we are a Kickstarter with two extra days. So we, uh, and by we I mean backers, campaigners, uh, egavanists. Everyone is very close to making history. So, again, thank you very much for your pledges. Uh, thank you very much for your interest, your art. It's all creating what is possibly the best and biggest video game Kickstarter event. So, thank you for being part of it. Insert clap sounds here. I think I should do it. There you go. So, um, speaking of the future, right? By this time, when you hear this podcast, on Friday, which is actually... Five days uh, from now. Um, actually, you're going to hear about this tomorrow, uh, U.S. time, and that is we are doing a familiar the familiar contest. contest. The familiar yeah, contest yeah. is so tell, super. Tell cool. me what is this? So the familiar contest, as I remember it, and we talked about it last time, uh, is a contest to, to both design and choose, or is it just choose? It's just choose. So it's choosing familiars that will appear in the game. Specifically, uh, what I've been told is uh, Natsume-san will come up with four different options, and the backers will decide which of these makes it into the final game. So is that two or one that'll finally make it into the game? That's one. Just one. Okay, so out of the four, only one will be picked. When we did Mighty Number 9, the call contest made everybody go bonkers. Like, 
just the sheer number of comments that came in and just the excitement around being able to choose, you know, such a very important character of the game was amazing. You know, say what you will about the amount of money that this campaign has been able to generate. Thank you very much. Still, if you look at the comments per day for Mighty Number no. 9, they were averaging around 3,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to give you a comparative, we're averaging around 700 to 800, which is, by all intents and purposes, fantastic. Uh, and ukulele right now during their lull period is about 40. Uh-huh. Wow. So, okay. 3,000 so is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the fan base that My Number Nine uh, garnered during its Kickstarter was a rapid, sorry, not a rapid, rabid It was a base. rapid rabbit. It was, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was rapidly getting more rabid by the day, but very, very in love with, um, with what was being put out there. That's right, rightfully so. And, you know, to be fair, a lot of our backers uh, are trying to destroy those different backer achievements. So they're busy writing comics and art and all that. So, hey, it doesn't matter. The important thing is that we have created um, a fantastic campaign, which people are not only spending their money, but their time and their, their love. But they're also com- commenting on the, uh, the the forums there, or rather the, the comment section. So that's fantastic, right? It's a very healthy campaign. It's a very fun campaign with lots of things to do. Well, notice that there's been a lot of like interesting and, and useful feedback like for you guys. Um, I remember when you were talking about, like recently we just put out the, the language update. And uh, you mentioned it, and I had also seen, even just browsing quickly on the comments, that a lot of people wanted to play the game with Japanese voices, but with English subtitles. And, you know, if you don't have that kind of feedback, you really are just kind of guessing what people want. Uh, being able to have that kind of feedback before the game is even getting created is just an amazing tool for, uh, for producers. Indeed, indeed. Um, I think that this familiar con is one of the things it will add, are that people will now be able to sort of... The idea of com- talking with each other on the uh, comment section and a little friendly competition, uh, I expect that number to increase. Uh, because obviously being able to choose a familiar, and familiars were awesome. And actually, this is the first time we're announcing familiars, which uh, was on a lot of people's wish lists, um, is awesome. And we made the active choice not to add those as a stretch goal or whatever. I think other campaigns may have done that, knowing that it's something people want. But it really is, it's a blend, right? It's a mixture of giving them what they want, you know, for free, because actually, to be honest, it was in the base design anyways. But also, things that weren't in the base design, planning those out, trying to see cost-wise where they're going to fit in the great big scheme of things, and then hoping that you have the support from the backers that you do to make the biggest, baddest game. So can we say anything about... Well, I guess it'll be live by the time this go, this podcast goes live, so everybody will already know which familiars are going to be in the contest, correct? That's right. Can we talk about the familiars today, in today's recording? Uh, we could, if I had seen them. <laughs> we haven't seen them yet. We haven't seen them yet. So it's actually going to be a surprise to us as well as that. That's right. It's, it's all right. It's great to have a podcast where you're talking about the future, and yet the future still surprises you. <laughs> so I saw I saw four monsters already. What were those? Those were monsters. Just regular monsters. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, the first one especially seemed like it could have been a familiar, so I was getting a little mixed up there. Okay. Well, there is the theory that some of the familiars mm-hmm. are things that you earn directly from the monsters. Oh, that so that's fun. that's a possibility for uh, for sure. That would be really cool. So um, moving on um, from the familiar uh, contest um, discussion, which, by the way, if you do get a chance, please, please participate in that, because that is why you're a backer. Absolutely. be able to directly affect the game, even from the ground up. And once the creators, once the developers say that they're going to do this, they're kind of on the hook. So your voice and your opinion will matter. But uh, moving along, uh, another big announcement that will happen on Friday, again, approximately four or five days from now, 
uh, is the announcement of the animation sample. Which I think people have been really, really waiting for for a long time. The animation sample is going to be the first, maybe the the first time that people are actually seeing some realized version of the game other than those few images that we've shown on the, on the actual Kickstarter campaign. Indeed it is. Uh, and you just actually saw this animation sample, Dan. What was your opinion of it? Just high-level comments. It's kind of roughly, I felt like I had a, a great balance of the 2D and 3D elements. It, it's a lot of what I love from the uh, from the aesthetic of the of the 2D sprites from the oldest games. Sort of like the richness and depth that you get from Dracula Chronicles X on the on the PSP. Indeed. Sorry, uh, my muffins just uh, <laughs> just, <laughs> just got finished. Yes. <laughs> muffins are ready, everybody. Muffins are ready. Who wants some blueberry muffins? No. Um. So here's the thing, and I'm very curious about getting your opinion on this. We also had an animation sample on Mighty Number no. Nine. Uh, and it looked very cartoony. Uh, and actually, when we released it, there were a lot of people that liked it, and there were a lot of people that didn't like it, because it's all subjective. I can show you one uh, famous artist's art, and you'll be like, love it, and another famous artist's art, and you'll be like, that sucks, right? Mm-hmm. So you can never please everyone. And it's always scary to go out there and show something as big and as important as this, because you don't want people looking and go, gross, I hate it. However, the important point is this. It's a sample it's early. They can get feedback. And actually, Inti as a developer has learned a lot over the past two or three years. And they've gotten actually better at being able to discern uh, fan comments, backer comments, etc. So I feel actually a lot more comfortable than I ever have towards them to be a mature global developer that is able to take that feedback in and sort of modify and improve upon what would be a sample. Now, a sample is, it is just a sample. It is them trying to test out the engine, see what sort of shaders they can get to to work on it. And Inti has gone on record and said, hey, we're going to work on the shaders initially and see if we can't find that certain tonality that everybody likes. Now, we talked about this before. Natsume, the main artist, who is he trying to replicate with this current art style? Well, he's... Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, like... Trying to replicate uh, Kojima's like darker art style, more gothic, uh, which is really interesting because if you think about where Inti Creates comes from in terms of their their pedigree of games, this is a new foray. So this is a super interesting take and probably really, really creatively exciting for the entire team at Funatsume. Specifically, bringing this new gothic art style with this Kojima influence and trying to really just like hit it right on the nail. So one of the things that I per- obviously I was a producer before, and if I was ever going to write a handbook, the, the one thing that I would put in chapter one uh, would be, don't bet on talent, bet on just sheer motivation or sheer passion. Because you can have somebody that's less talented, but super passionate towards that project, and they're going to dig deep, and the odds of them finding that thing... Even if they have to do it a hundred times to reach it versus somebody who may be just naturally talented and get there faster, is that when push comes to shove and when the project is in its hardest months where you have to just crunch, 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 that sort of motivation pays dividends. And Natsume-san working through Golden Week and right from the start saying, I love these sort of games, that shows a certain respect and passion towards the base content. And I do feel that that is going to pay big dividends uh, for what this game is going to be. I think what's really interesting about that, about what you just said, is that there's also the possibility that somebody who has that ambition, that passion, might actually have this chance of, on their way to hitting what you know we originally, or the team originally asks of them, 
might actually hit something that is better in some way, that is somewhere on the path to like, okay, we want this art style. And on the way, they're they're trying their best, they're trying different things, and then they have it upon something that you look at and say, wait, no, that's actually better than what we asked for. This is way cooler and somehow like much more original. So I want to go back to the risk of showing an art sample, and especially when you're in Inti's shoes, because obviously we've seen the comments, and there are some people that are not happy uh, with how Mighty Number no. 9 turned out. Sometimes they blame it on the sheer number of SKUs. Sometimes they blame it on the engine being weaker. Sometimes they blame it on Inti Creates. Um, you know, whatever your rationale is, the important thing is this. It is a different team. It is a stronger engine. It is stronger hardware, and it's a team that's actually now has experience in seeing that feedback. So I would much rather bet on that sort of team to find that magic the second time rather than say, oh, well, they didn't do it once, so therefore they're not going to be able to do it. Because I just don't believe that to be true. But again, they're taking a big risk by showing this animation sample, and we're going to try and do as many calls as possible to say, guys, this is, this is us putting our toe in the water and feeling things out. We're going to go through a proper vetting period where we talk with you about different shaders and try and find where that is, where the, that magic is, um, to make it look the best that it possibly can. But there will be people, and it's a shame, that aren't used to seeing material this early in the development process. Yes. And yeah. they're going to say, oh, why isn't she like doing this animation? And why isn't she moving this quickly? And why, you know, why is the jump following this kind of trajectory? Or why isn't it more natural or something like that? Honestly, they have worked on it for a couple weeks. And that's what you're going to get for a couple weeks. And honestly, what you have right now, like that animation sample for just a couple weeks of work is stellar. Like I've been part of projects where after a couple months, you know, obviously because, you know, the animation sample has different... It's it's being created for different reasons than, let's say, like a prototype is being created for a game. And you look at the prototype and you're like, okay, I can understand what, where you're trying to go with this game, but why does this game look so ugly? And then you realize, oh, wait, this is a game in development. We're not there yet. They're not there to create the assets. They're there to create this proof of concept. So they obviously, while the animation sample is a different thing, there are just parts of it that just don't exist yet. Right, there's a lot of work that you can do in development before you ever get to the point where you're making art or putting animation to frames or you know filling in all those placeholder uh, objects and, and assets. I saw a lot of people that um, on ukulele said that they backed it because there was something up and running and moving. Uh, I have no idea, you know, if those are animation samples or if that is actually you know what the final game is going to look like or whatever. I assume not. I assume they still have lots of development time to go. And don't get me wrong, I love Banjo-Kazooie, so I'm super excited about that project. But you could see in the comments a lot of people were saying, hey, you know, I wanted to back Bloodstained. Uh, and this was on websites too, but I'm not going to back it until it's up and moving. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I understand that. Everybody can make their own decisions. I think one of the best parts about Kickstarter is it allows you to have faith and support people. And that's the key concept is, hey, I believed in that person. I had faith in them from, from day one and they achieved on what they said they were going to do. I'm a believer and I was right. And you, that's a great way to feel. You literally press a button that says, I've got your back. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Very literal sense. Very literal sense. <laughs> so, you know, Inti getting this out, the hope is that people will see it and say, okay, you know, I see something, something that's up and running. I get it. You got, okay, this is kind of the general direction you're going to try and move in. Uh, and my hope so that then people will look at that. And the people that were on the fence that need to see something to believe it, they can't just believe that magic or religion is a thing. They need to see that thing. Hopefully then that will be the catalyst 
that makes them say, okay, this is going to be a real game. I believe in it. I want to pledge now. You know, talking specifically about the animation sample, there's a there's a few things I find really interesting about what's in there. So if you look at the background, one of the most interesting things about the about the sample itself is the fact that you've got this dark hallway, but then it's peppered with amazing, like almost neon light. It's this pink and red light, which fits Bloodstain's theme so well. But it's also that color specifically, that pink is the color that separates Bloodstain from Castlevania. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's as well. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's so important about this animation sample is that if you look at it from a, an aesthetic standpoint, it's trying to harken back to Igarashi-san's other games while still ha- like showing like, look, it's got an identity of its own. This is different. This is not you know, this is not the same game again. We're going for something new yet familiar. Yeah, as much as I love like uh, all of the old titles, you know, I always want to see artists try something new to try and grow every time they make something new. To, you know, try and make that thing that, like, when they were making the, the last game that they, they realized all too late that, oh, man, if only I'd had time to do this, or if only I'd had the money to, to go in this direction, too. I'm always interested in seeing, like, what artists end up doing with their, say, you know, seventh title to make it different from the sixth one. They change their name from Prince to a symbol, <laughs> and then they're very hard to describe in a sentence without writing. So there you go. I'm so glad that when we were uh, we were doing discussions for the names for the game that none of us thought symbol was a good idea. Hey. Wait, hold. Did you think you, you, you had a symbol I'll in be, mind? To be honest with you, I was thinking, was there a beta or a gamma or is there some, like one of these that's like <laughs> way down at the bottom of the alphabet, the Greek alphabet that we can use and yeah. You were, you were close. I was close. I was close. But in the end, we also could have gone with Manstorm. It's true. Manstorm. Manstorm was... <laughs> What, what, what is this Manstorm you speak of? No, no. So this Manstorm has nothing to do actually with the title of the game, but a title for something else. For it. it was a company name. It was an idea that I had once. I thought that Manstorm would be a great name for a company. Not, not really. I didn't really think it was a good idea. He really thought. <laughs> I did not think that. <laughs> that's, that's weird because you were just telling me how you thought it was like a really great it was idea. A great and idea. At all joking. About it. <laughs> all right. Well, there you have it. So uh, I think that you know we've talked a little bit about the future. Uh, we've talked about the familiar contest. We've talked about the animation sample, which, again, fingers crossed. People are going to look at that and have faith and not doubt. And, you know, it's going to it's gonna tear me to shreds because I know I'm going to, just for marketing purposes and just for feedback purposes, look at websites and see, oh, wow. Well, we we're, are getting in an we're in the middle of an earthquake. We're in the middle of an earthquake. I swear no one is shaking no. the mic. This is the second time in four days that I've been... Recorded during an earthquake. Oh, was there an earthquake during yeah. the tournament? So yeah, on Saturday I was I was at a tournament uh, for a fighting game, and an earthquake started during the stream. Right, that was the tournament for Dynamite Bomb. Right? Correct, correct. So I was at the tournament for Dynamite Bomb, and there was an earthquake, and nobody left the building. Everybody continued to play. Everybody was like, "Yeah, that's fine. We're okay." I heard there was a minor tsunami for that one too. Yes. Yes, right. I did hear the same thing. Back to what I was saying. Before um, the earthquake. So yeah. rudely interrupted you. <laughs> Before the, by, by the way, that earthquake stranded me in the station, and I had to wait there for two hours. I didn't get home until 2 a.m. Oh on the train. God. So, yes, uh, I would have preferred to stay in a bar consuming alcoholic beverages while playing fighting games. That would have been much better. <laughs> Anyways, uh, no, I was going to say that it's going to tear me apart when I go to these different websites and I see people look at the animation sample and go, if the game's going to look like that, it'll suck or whatever. Not viewing it as an animation sample that was created in two weeks. That's like trying to build a house in two weeks and only having like two or three boards up and having people saying, oh my God, the house sucks. You know, I can't believe you're going to live in the... Oh, <laughs> it looks so cold. The wind's going to come in. You're going to hit by the rain. Done. <laughs> two, two weeks, brother. Anyways, so we should probably take a... Uh... Yeah, let's just take a quick break. We've got some great stuff to talk about coming up next, but we will be right back. 
And we're back. How's everybody going? We had, uh... I, I said it again! I keep saying it! How is everybody going? Why do I keep saying... Anyway. Um, I'm not going in any manner, so I'm not. <laughs> I'm going kind of quickly towards my death, I think, faster than you guys at my Just age. hurtling towards it. That's right. Embrace your mortality, then. That's right. It's going to be a, an epic battle between me and the Grim Reaper, and he'll probably, you know, just snap his fingers and I die. Oh, man. I don't have the Belmont uh, juice, unfortunately. I will say this, though. I mentioned this on the comment section that Iga secretly, when we were doing the AMA, I don't know if anybody watched that. First time I ever did an AMA, it was freaking me out. I was like, oh, how do I respond to this? And you, like, mistype something and you don't realize there's a typo there and you actually type Walt when you mean Will. You know, this happens all the time. It's just like, oh, no. But anyways, during this, Iga leans over and he shows me this sketch of the Ring of Ega, of if he was going to do a Ring of Ega for this for this campaign, for the rewards, what it would be. And it was like stained glass like gems around the ring. What? And it just like looked badass. Oh, that oh, sounds man. awesome. So the fact that it's the one tier that no one has really like digged in and, and gotten is kind of like a shock to me. I would have thought, you know, if a genius creator, you know, made a game or you're in it or whatever, fine, but like a ring. And he, he's like, I'm not making more than 10, no matter what. <laughs> He's like, I just don't, I can't. I just can't do it. I don't have that kind of time. Still, uh, seeing that was amazing. But uh, I digress. We, by Friday's time, should have opened all, except maybe one, of the stretch goals. And, again, I want to get back into a discussion about stretch goals. We talked about this before. Yes. And, obviously, only the people that listen are going to know. But... There's still a sentiment that we had planned for the Wii U skew and the, the PS Vita skew and all that was in the cards all along. And, and we as fans that are a part of the campaign, we know to a certain degree what the fans want. Yeah, so absolutely. Of course, you're not going to want it on just a few number of platforms. You're, you're, we are, we are going to want it for as many people as possible. But based on technological choices, some of those ports are going to cost more or less money. And you have to have long discussions with the production side to see how we can fit them in the scope. And of course, it's a balance because you don't just want to make a game that has a lot of ports and no new modes. So it's like, hey, you know what? You're getting two or three extra modes. And then we're going to add in a port because it, it works. And then on top of that, you're going to get another mode. And then we'll add in this other port. So we're trying to make it so that it fits the overall economics of building this game out while still making sure, even if we had only gotten to this level, you know, it would still be a super robust, burly, uh, Egovania game. Burly. Burly. This is a burly Egovania game. (laughs) You know, but still, that's the way you plan it out. So every time I see somebody go, oh, they knew all along. It's like, no, like... Look at Kickstarter 2014. Please go look at Kickstarter 2014, especially the video game category, and tell me how many 1 million plus games there were. I think there were one, like video games. People people won't believe us when we say this, but we had a lot of conversations about, you know, where we put certain stretch goals because we're not really sure where we're going to be at. No, None of us said, like, yeah, we're absolutely... We're going to be in 5 million, no problem. Just stack it up wherever you want to put it. Nobody said that. We were all... We really just had no idea because of the uncertain times that Kickstarters had. And so it's been exciting and scary at the same time to see all of this sort of unfold slowly, but... You know, the, the, I remember the first day we talked about this on the, on the very first episode. The first day when I woke up and I checked the phone, 
like that really sort of set the mood for me from then on in. It was like, this is going to be super exciting. I can't wait to talk about this and tell people about this. But the day before, we had no idea. Yeah, I was super, I was super nervous because at least for me as an agent, it represented, you know, a year of my, my life that I had been going on road shows uh, with Iga and to events trying to pitch his game. And, um, you know, it was like to do this and you pretty much pull the trigger and kind of his career is in your hands. Because had we pulled this trigger and let's think from a worst case scenario, which people are going to roll their eyes and say, oh, it's Iga. That's not going to, he's big indies. Things are going to work out. But that's not the reality. That's right. Had we pulled that trigger, the campaign didn't work out. People didn't like backer achievements or, or the stretch goals or whatever, which totally could have happened. And we never reached that initial stretch goal. That's it. Ego would never have had a chance. He could, I could never have taken him to a publisher and said, people want this game. Because they'd look at the Kickstarter campaign and say, Duh, no. Clearly they, people don't want they don't. Right. And so that's it. It was it was all or nothing. That is the, the basic gambit that he ran. So... The other funny thing about planning stretch goals for a Kickstarter campaign is you spend literally 50 hours, a combined total 50 hours talking with development, talking with campaign guys, trying to plan these out. And finally, after, you know, multiple five hour long meetings, you get them and you're there and you're like, this is what we're doing. Go. And then it launches. And then all of a sudden the goals you had get blown away and like a day, you're like, uh, remember when we were talking about, it would have been nice to have this skew or this mode. It looks like you might be able to do it. So let's have another five hour long planning. meeting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's the other thing. That's a sort of misconception. I think about a lot of like, if you, if you've never run uh, a Kickstarter campaign and you're looking at it from the outside, it does sometimes if it's just, especially if it's a successful campaign it sometimes look from the outside as if you set it up like this Rube Goldberg machine and press start <laughs> and it just happens and that's just not the case you're always running around trying to fix things trying to change things trying to be as agile as possible and responding to people changing things behind the scenes to make sure that the users are going to love what they're going to see next make sure that if they're unhappy with something that we can move to you know change it or improve it or something it doesn't matter in fact how good your campaign is. I think a lot of people know when they look at a campaign that's that's doing badly, it's very visible how people are running around trying to change things and make it better. But it's not always visible when a good campaign is constantly changing. And it really is this like amorphous thing that's always taking shape and then changing day after day. Well, the uh, like sort of technical reality of, uh, of updates makes that even more obscure, I think. Because 30 minutes after you post an update, you can never, you can never change it again, right? Right, exactly. So once you've, once 30 minutes has passed, that's what's out there that's what's been said so you have to be sure when you post an update that you know exactly what you know what the current plan is and uh no matter how flexible you've been or no matter how much you've changed or how much you've done up to that point what it looks like from the outside is that you said something once and it was done and um you know it's kind of it would be stupid to cement all your goals in one place and say, that's just the way we're going to do it. When you have one of the best ways to directly connect with your fans and backers through the comment section and through emails, and you're getting all this information about what they want for you to just say, oh, no, I don't care what you guys want. We're just going to go with the initial set of goals that we had because we planned out the future perfectly. <laughs> we just know what we're talking about. And clearly what you're saying is silly. And there are actually a lot of goals, stretch goals that later were modified and added because of direct fan feedback that we served backer feedback that we saw because the idea is ideally if the money keeps going in we're going to get every single one of those desires into a stretch goal and it'll be cleared mm -hmm. so speaking of which by this time like i said we will have announced we're on the last week most important week 
Are we going to have a big upswing and make history? Uh, more importantly, are we going to get to the 4.5 million goal, which is the one I'm super excited for, or not have that momentum and our people are not going to be excited? So uh, we have opened up most of the stretch goals. Uh, I think there may be one or two that are hiding because just in case, just in case the heavens grant us superhuman powers of, of funding prowess uh, and we're able to get to some amazing number like 5 million, we want to have those in our pocket. But in general, we have revealed at 3.75 the orchestrated, the orchestrated soundtrack. full orchestra soundtrack. Full orchestra soundtrack. That is amazing. That is amazing. So yeah, that sounds so good with her music. Yeah. Have have we talked at all about um, about uh, where that's going to be recorded? You know what? I don't know the specifics on that. I do know that there's talk about potentially uh, using a famous American, like the Boston Philharmonic uh, sort of orchestra, uh-huh. uh, potentially also doing something in Japan when these orchestras are touring, etc. It's never cheap. It's very expensive to do it that way, which is why the stretch goal is so high up. But you're right. You're already going to have the 8-bit soundtrack. Uh, you're going to have this, and you're going to have the normal music. So awesome. Totally so exciting. Right. That's really, really cool. And uh, then beyond that, we have four. Four million. This is also a very big, important number. Mm-hmm. You, you, never, you never gave me the list. I never gave you the list? You didn't. All right. Well, you can tell what our ranks are here now. <laughs> so sad. Uh, four is going to be online. What it does is allow us the money to build up online, and because of that, we'll be able to have a versus. And by versus, what that means is you'll be racing against other people trying to beat a certain boss or whatever. So this is not a fighting game. It's not a fighting game. Let's no. be clear about that. It's not a this fighting game. This is not game. judgment. This is, this is not judgment. <laughs> this is not that. But no, you'll, it'll be you racing against the other person, trying to get there first. And potentially, maybe there'll be a co-op element to it as well. Sort so, of like Harmony of Despair. Are we talking like time attack only, or maybe like time and points versus? Or It sounds like that's something they're, something they're like still that? thinking about, but the idea is depending on how quickly you can do it, you'll get rare drops, etc. It's very much like Harmony of Despair. That sounds really fun. See, that's the thing I'm actually most excited about is, is the online, in fact. Because I'm a fiend for good cooperative online gaming, especially when it combines seamlessly with a single-player game. So that's the kind of thing that I'm super into. Uh, I love, I, you know, I love these uh, side-scrolling action games. I love Castlevania. I'm so excited for this game. And having online would be absolutely amazing. I remember a conversation we had recently where you were asked, like, what kind of game would you make if you were to make a game? Your answer, in a very, very long-winded the answer, you described. The you Fart app. I would make the Fart app or beer. <laughs> and his, his description was so long. Uh, no, it was, uh, it was Monster Hunter. You just described Monster I just, Hunter. I, I, I made this long description, and at the end of it, like five minutes afterwards, uh, the person who asked, I think, wasn't there. And I just looked at Dan and said, I think I just described Monster Hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. So it's one of the things that people often request. You know, it, it goes without saying we went online, sure. Uh, and fortunately, there were people that were understanding that online is extremely expensive. Just the testing that you have to do uh, alone and latency and all that optimization costs serious money. So that's why it had to be put so far up on the stretch goal scale, Uh, even though, sure, it's a no-brainer. It's awesome. We want to play it. But he did mention uh, that his games, every time he's put like an online mode in, most people didn't seem to really gravitate towards it as much. They were always like, we don't want just online. We want the robust first-person, sorry, single-player campaign. That needs to be awesome. And then if on top of that there's an online mode, then bring it on. Right, right. Because I think Portrait of Ruin had a co-op mode, didn't it? 
but nobody, I don't think anybody ever did? touched I it. I don't even recall. It. I, you know, I could be wrong. The internet's probably like shaking their fists collectively at me right now saying, no, nine, there's nothing like that. But yeah, I remember there being a lot. I mean, I tried playing uh, co-op games with people with DS and with uh, GBA, and it was so hard to try and get anybody to even try it. Assuming they even ha- had the system, nobody had the cables. If you had the cables, then you try it once, and it interrupts in the middle of your game, and it's like an hour and a half of your lives lost. Oh, GBA was the worst. The, all the, the hardware you needed was just made it near impossible. Yeah. yeah. So uh, then at 4.25, do you remember this? Is it the, the third character? That's right. Yes. That's the one that I remember because that's the one that I'm actually... Like, the online is like the first thing on my list, and the, the second one is definitely the third character. So based on Kick Tracks, which, of course, if you don't know about it, check it out. It shows the day-to-day statistics... Uh, not only on money that came in that day, number of backers, and then comments as well. Super interesting read. Uh, free, of course, which is great. Based on kick tracks, uh, we are, again, slightly moving beyond what Torment Tides of <laughs> um, was. <laughs> and that was at 4.18. Now, if you combine our uh, PayPal total to that number, that's already 4.25. And again, we're ahead of them by about two days. So, breaching 4.25 is a very realistic possibility. Absolutely. Matter of fact, if we just do the standard, the bare minimum, based on how upswings work in Kickstarter, we should get to this number. Now, third character, not announced. It's just merely the third character. When I initially was talking to Inti about how much this would cost, there was something like $300,000. I was like, what? You know, uh, and we did some back and forth, and eventually they were able to make a little bit more sense. Uh, but still, it's a character is not as cheap as you would think, because especially in this sort of a game, that character's probably going to have different moves. Yeah. You know, think about uh, the character of Richter in Symphony of the Night versus the character of Alucard. They played Holy extremely huge, different. Huge difference. Totally changed the way the game was played. Absolutely. Yeah. Soma versus Charlotte and Arya of Sorrow. Yep. So there you go. Um, it is going to be an expensive undertaking um, for them. Uh, which brings me to the goal I'm most interested in. Uh, 4.5. 4.5. And what is that? You don't remember the list? I don't remember the list. This guy, I'll tell you what. <laughs> it's, your, it's your favorite. Why do you and, you don't, and you don't remember the list. The, you mean the one I didn't see? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, 4.5 right now is slated for a, we're not going to say specifically 8-bit or 16-bit, but we are going to say it's a pixel. Oh, that one. Okay, that's Red Skull. Yes. It is a pixel Egovania game. The number of stages, bosses, whatever. Uh, that still hasn't been discussed, so I can't tell you right now at the time of this podcast what it is. All I can say is this, at that point, because each additional port is going to cost something like fifty or 100000 the only thing, we can only do it for one piece of hardware. It will be on a totally different engine, and we just would hate ourselves for leaving the 3DS uh, on the cutting room floor. So that will be the first skew that comes in at $4.5 million. Um, Why this is awesome... For backers. I was going to... Oh, you say that because I, I want to guess why it's awesome for you. After okay. you say this. Oh, okay, go ahead. Oh, you want me to just say it now? I want, I want you to hear it right the point now. I'm guessing if you already hear the answer first. No, no, no. Because what might be awesome for backers might not necessarily be the reason that he's so excited. Oh, right, right, right. The reason I think it's so exciting for you specifically, and it's only because I know you, I know that because you travel a ton for work... You are always jet-setting, going to Tokyo, going overseas, you're all over the place. You play a lot of portable games. And as far as I know, you play your 3DS far more than you play your Vita. Am I correct? It really depends on the game. Like when uh, 
Persona 4 came out on the Vita, I was crazy about that. You know, when, when um, Bravely Default came out on the 3DS, crazy about, about that. that. It, it really just depends. I'm I'm a, a huge hardcore gamer. I own most of the systems. I'm in the game industry, so I can always justify it. You can myself. always justify it, yeah. Gotta get that next piece of hardware. I'm in the game industry after that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's certainly one of the reasons why it's good for me as a consumer. But another reason that I'm super excited about this is that it is a, a companion game, right? You'll get for free if you're a backer. Holy crap. Now, we Wait, are... Seriously? We are... Yes, we are going to potentially be selling this as a separate game. Mm-hmm. But this is sort of like a gift to the backers for allowing us to get there. So, uh, even Ukulele is going to be giving out free DLC after they get to, I think, the equivalent of $3.1 uh, million, which uh, is fantastic. This, I think, is going to be our giving it back to the people, to the backers specifically. So this, if nothing else, is the reason to back this Kickstarter and help everyone rush up to get to that $4.5 million. I you love know, that. That's amazing. Is it already decided at what point this, like, you'd be able to, to get this? Like, uh, from what backing tier? Is that still in the works or what? Uh, I think that's something we're still debating, but uh, it very well could be the 60 that seems to be the premium one that gets you the potential beta that also gets you the, the secret content. We'll see. It could be the 28. I do not know. But I do know that that's the current goal and that ultimately later this will probably be something that's sold separately. So help us get there. And then moving on to 4.75, we have, of course, the other SKUs. That would be PC, PlayStation 4, Mac, Linux, Xbox One. For the... It, uh, the uh, the retro graphic style. That's right, and right. And, and Wii U and Vita, of course. So, um, and actually, that's something that you know it will be very expensive to to make all of these different versions. But if we get up to you know if miracles occur and we get up to four point seven five, then yeah, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We don't care. And I can't talk about the uh, hidden fifth stretch goal because it's amazing. And it's you can't talk about it because it's amazing because it's amazing. Like people collectively, their their head would melt. They're just they're listening to it and then their head melts. They can't get their headphones out because it's melting yeah, right over. That's it. right. So, yeah, yeah it's like would, some Raiders of the Lost Ark type stuff. They open the Ark and all this. Yeah, can't even actually say it in this room because I mean we need to finish the podcast. It wouldn't do any good if we're all melted. And that's dead. true. That's true. Although without <laughs> the AC on right now, I feel like I'm I feel like I'm. Not, I am melting. Okay, actually. Anyways, that is the list. I apologize that uh, Nine only had some of the pieces and Dan had none of the pieces. <laughs> <laughs> that's because it was spread out fresh off the presses. So. Uh, that's where we're at, and I think that we should probably take a... Uh, take a break? That's right. All right. Sounds good. We'll be right back. Play the Playism podcast. Uh, so we've we've got uh, a few awesome topics to talk about for this segment, and one of course is the backer achievement, the endless quest for the backer achievement, the pirate coin, uh, and all the imag- magical, fantastic uh, fandom and pieces of, of uh, art, music, uh, enemy design, etc. that have been created. So uh, we're going to go around the room and just pay our respects to all the hard work that you backers uh, and listeners have put into creating your own different things for the, the campaign. Again, can't say enough, this is the most motivating thing for the actual creators of the game. So please continue to do that. Even though we have 11 days left, 
I hope there are a very wild ride of awesome artwork, music, etc. Absolutely. Actually, this is kind of a testament to how much incredible art is actually on the Tumblr. I have my phone out right now, again, breaking the rules. I'm looking for the one that I want to talk about. And there's just so much that I'm actually like taking some time to like scroll through the whole thing and find it. So... Uh, come back to me. Dan, why don't you go first? Yeah, I'm, I'm ready with mine. I don't actually have the names of the creators. I couldn't seem to find it in the list. But let's see. I'll start with older and go to newer. Uh, the first one was this... It's an awesome monster design. It was a like crazy like chicken cockatrice monster with these these incredible like teeth jutting out of its maw. And, um, you know, it had, like, no feathers, and it had these, these kind of, like, stunted, deformed uh, wings, and it was, it was terrifying. It was really cool-looking. Very good uh, black-and-white line art. And then the other one was a, um, a pearler bead piece of Miriam, and it's just... Those, those kinds of creations always impress me because of the, the time involved to, you know, meticulously recreate some kind of work or to, to put something together like that. It's just, um, you know, it's inspiring to see somebody put that much work into something that they want to make. All right, so I guess it's my turn then. Indeed. Um, so the first one that I wanted to choose was uh, Crystal Mermaid. It's a, the Monster Comic submission. It's fantastic. I, I really always love in comic books using the art to create the frame of each panel. Um, and this art, I wish I had the name on here uh, for the creator. Uh, it's absolutely fantastic, but it's actually really similar. If you've ever read uh, Batwoman, J.H. Williams III has just amazing art and how he uses characters and action to, to, to create each panel. This is very similar, but sort of more fluid. It's just incredible work done with just three colors. Just absolutely mind-blowing. And the other one is the the Furfur. The Furfur, which is like this incredible interpretation of the Great Earl of Hell. Just incredible antlers and wings. Great, uh, great uh, coloring on it. I actually love this line uh, in the description. I wanted to draw big, bizarre antlers, but I reached the edge of the paper. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good you that's can actually cool. see like the antlers on it you can tell exactly it's this almost straight line where the antlers end and it looks like oh I wanted to go so much further with it but I just couldn't absolutely fantastic yeah that's cool work I'm glad that people are like you know looking into the grimoire and finding inspiration um, you know in line with the uh, the inspiration of the game itself absolutely I'm going to uh, this one came in a little bit earlier uh, it was by Color Laboratory and it's the Cursed Alchemist it looks sort of like a skeleton inside a, an alchemist's um hood and he's got a bunch of different uh, objects around him really tight character design uh, and the colors are really good just very high quality art so that was amazing uh, and then even though it's not an enemy the it's something by milk pirate and it was just it showed different uh, ways to craft weapons so that's the first time I, i'd seen someone ever just be like hey you know what you guys enjoy yourself with the, with the enemies i'm just going to be like crafting some weapons over here and this is how you're going to do it <laughs> that's super cool so that was uh that was cool to see somebody take it in their own direction but um uh again we appreciate this it's actually a huge motivator for me every day this is an extremely busy time for me uh with work not just the campaign but with e3 coming up etc cetera, etc cetera. a few major projects also moving forward uh so every day when i wake up only a few hours of sleep I roll out of bed, look at the tumbler, and it helps give me a kick in the butt for a, a nice start to the day to know that we're doing something here that's uh, great. I, I wanted to give a quick shout-out to Color Laboratory, who's actually put out, at, le- at the very least, three pieces that have been awesome. Yeah, I keep seeing that name. Last time were really fantastic. Yeah, so I've, I keep seeing that name. Amazing work. Can't wait to see more of it. Awesome. So what is Bit Summit? So Bit Summit is, uh, man, what is Bit Summit now is an interesting question. But Bit Summit was originally created as Kyoto's answer to uh, an indie festival. Basically, a way to get Japanese indie creators together to 
to show their games off to people who might never play indie games, to people who do play indie games, uh, and to other creators, and to really have this communal atmosphere for them to share knowledge and do what other indie communities in the States and in Canada are already doing. Correct me if I'm wrong, I think there are international uh, exhibitors as well, right? There are, there are, yeah. So there's actually quite a few international exhibitors who either their games have been really, really popular in Japan in the past, or are just interested in breaking into Japan, uh, and they come and show as well. Mm-hmm. I have some bad news for you guys. Uh-oh. Well, what is this bad news? What's this about? I am probably going to be the MC. Oh, for Bit Summit? For two days, yes. Oh, God, help this, us all. This, myself, this myself, really is like the worst news. Myself and my beautiful <laughs> assistant, uh, Yu Oshimura, uh, is also going to be there. So uh, it'll be live. We'll have a few very famous guests. It sure would be nice if Iga was up there to speak a little bit about Bloodstain. But um, uh, as you said, this is an event in Kyoto. Do you remember the days off the top of your head when this is going to be? I believe it is uh, July 17th to the 19th. Am I right? You are way off. Seriously? It is July 11th and 12th. Ah, I was close. Well, like I was like so, a week off. <laughs> I'm like a week off. Come on, come on down to Kyoto. Like, where is everybody? Where is everybody? Come on, I was only a week off. <laughs> There's like a half-eaten corn dog on the ground. <laughs> no, um, so there'll be more information, I think, uh, about that in the near future. Um, again, any event that supports indies, whether they are big or small, is an event that I love. Um, so please check it out, and you guys will also be. A part we'll be of this there. Course. We'll be there. We uh, we're going to be showing off. Uh, usually, what happens with Bit Summit is that uh, I mean, last year we had our own booth, and sort of surrounded surrounding our booth were all the developers that we work with, sort of all in the same area. Uh, but so Platinum Games from Software, yeah, like we got you know we yeah, bam, all of them. You know, we've got we're going to be showing Street Irrational, Fighter. Irrational we're going to be <laughs> Rational Games. Yes. Yeah. No. So we're going to be like, you know a lot of the really amazing Japanese indie devs that we work with and bring their games like. Like Mitsurugi Kamu Hikai and One Way Heroics and La Milana, like all these games, uh, all the Astabreed, new ones are going to be there. Astabreed, yeah. So this year, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be letting the developers uh, have their own boots, and we're going to be offering help for things like translation, helping them run the boots if they need help with it, uh, and then you know just kind of like wandering all over the place trying to check out as many games as we can. Do you have anybody that speaks Esperanza? Esperanza? Yeah. Or Esperanto or Esperanza? One of those. It's a made-up language. The move. Well, there was a movie done in Esperanto starring William Shatner. Are you talking about that? No. I want to go see that one. There is the one movie. movie. There's one Esperanto movie, and it stars William Shatner. All right. Sorry. Off topic, but I'm definitely going to check that out. <laughs> and we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to be uh, joined by Fangamer's Dan Moore to talk about Bloodstained and uh, what Fangamer has in store for the future. We'll be right back. Uh, Nyan here, and today I'm joined by Dan from Fangamer. Fangamer being the huge team that is, is working really, really hard on the Bloodstained Kickstarter. Dan, how are you doing? Doing all right. Not a lot of sleep lately, but um, I've you know we're far enough into the campaign that I've mostly adjusted to that, and it's going to be weird sleeping again. Uh, so right now I'm right in the sweet spot. That's that's awesome. So could you tell us a little bit about Fangamer outside of what you're doing for Bloodstain? Sure. Um, yeah, I guess it's probably easiest to start all the way back, which is when we were all like 12 years old, uh, because Fangamer, for people who don't know, um, we're mostly a merchandise company. Um, and in, gosh, I got there around 1999 when I was 12. Uh, we were all part of the same Earthbound fan site. 
Right. <laughs> um, so we, we really got to see the worst of each other all through grade school and high school. And then around 2008, uh, Reed, who runs the company, um, decided that running an Earthbound fan site was a difficult thing to sustain for the rest of his adult life. But, you know, that kind of building fan bases and doing things for people who love video games was what we had all really kind of learned to do. So it kind of turned into the company it is now. So in the case of Fangamer, um, well, first, the forum that you were talking about, was that was that Starman.net? Yep, Starman.net, exactly. Um, I was liar exaggerate on Starman.net. Wow. Okay, so that you, basically you guys started as an Earthbound-focused forum, correct? Yeah, yeah, and it was, um, yeah, it was just a personal website read set up, and uh, all of us joined at various times and nearly got banned at various times, volunteered to do <laughs> parts of the site at various times. Um, and then, yeah, probably 10 years after that, you know, a lot of us had started meeting each other in person. Reed and I and a lot of us uh, met our spouses on the forum. Um, and, you know, we've all just kind of congregated out toward Tucson, Arizona, which is where Fangamer is based now. Um, and okay. it, really, it really grew right out of Starman.net. Um, and just that experience of building a, a community of fans um, and doing things that I guess that make it feel good to be a fan rather than feeling terrible. Um, that's that's really the way I would put it. Okay. So at least from my perspective, um, when I think of Fangamer, the, the, the first thing that I remember seeing Fangamer's name on uh, was the Mother 3 handbook. Oh, yeah. Like the, yeah. the strategy guide. Was that the first thing that you guys ever did? Yeah, that was what really kind of got the company going. Um, you know, before that, they had tried um, tried some things that were more similar to Starman.net directly, like building out fan sites for companies. Um, but it was really, yeah, the Mother Three Handbook, a few of the uh, a few of the early designs that um, got us more design centered and got us into the idea of um, using merchandise to connect people. You know, it's and a lot of it was just especially in the late 90s, but even now, like, video game merchandise, it always felt kind of condescending almost. You know, like, okay, it's a picture of a blink and it says don't make me go Zelda on you or whatever. Um, that that kind of, that feeling that this company doesn't really care that I'm a fan of it. They don't want to try to tap into the things that make me like this game. Um, and we wanted to like really just for ourselves at first, but then for everybody else. Do things that respected the material and respected the fans of the games. And, you know, that's always um, something I've always found really interesting about Fangamer. Of course, this doesn't really play well on an audio podcast, but I'm actually wearing a Fangamer shirt right now. This was totally... Totally unplanned. I just picked up a shirt from my uh, from my closet and put it on. I'm wearing um, the Les Enfants Terribles shirt. But uh, oh, great. so basically, you know, the one thing that I've always loved about Fangamer's products is, as you said, it kind of it almost feels like you're you're in on an in joke with everybody else. You know, everybody who understands the shirt, you're kind of in on this awesome joke or reference. And do you feel like that sort of is part of the driving force behind Fangamer? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm I'm kind of a weird person to ask about this because I am the probably the least design oriented person at Fangamer. Everybody else is like a an amazing artist or a great web designer or something. I mostly just write, so it's uh, it's a wonder <laughs> that I am allowed into the offices. Uh, but yeah, it's it's that sense that um, like if somebody doesn't get what this shirt is about, that's fine. It's still a good piece of design, and if they do get it, like now we've got now we share this thing. Um, you know, we've been doing a lot of shirts for indie designer or indie game uh, 
developers recently. And one of the ones I really like is the Glory to Our Stotska shirt for Papers, Please. Oh, yes. Uh, because, yeah, that's just, um, if, you know, if you haven't played Papers, Please before, it's just it's this vaguely Eastern European looking shirt. But it's, sure. you know, it's close enough that, like, you're still able to share that with people when they get it. It's just you don't have to walk through your daily life blaring uh, your video game preferences at people who don't get it. <laughs> right. Well, I did notice that, you know, when we were... Um the last time that uh, you know us at Playism had a chance to chat with you guys at Fangamer in person was at uh, PAX East uh, mm-hmm. in April. And you know when we were walking around PAX East, you know we were stuck at our booth most of the time. But when we had the chance to leave and kind of walk around, it was really interesting to see that there aren't a lot of other um, sort of merchandise shops that put the kind of attention into individual designs that Fangamer does. A lot of them are just you know, hey, we took the, the box art from Last of Us and then we stuck it on a black shirt. Yeah, yeah, and that's, um, we really owe most of that to uh, our uh, lead designer is named John Kay. Uh, you'll see his name all over our site because he's designed so many of the shirts and uh, a lot of the design elements. And he just, um, he is probably the most detail-oriented person I've ever met. Uh, you know, he'll see things in a design that I can't even see after he's pointed them out to me. Um, and part of it's just, yeah, b- being willing to stick with the design longer. Um the way we work, we're not a daily tea site. We pick designs that we want to stick with, reprint a few times, uh, stuff we're willing to keep in our warehouse for a while. Because that's the other thing is we do all, all of our own fulfillment. So right. you know, when we when we make a shirt, we're committing to having it in the warehouse for a while, uh, to shipping it out, to working on the reprints. So yeah, really, we're we're set up so that we kind of. We're kind of uh, handcuffing ourselves to these designs, you know, so we, we right. want them to be as good as possible because that's, you know, there aren't going to be three more designs tomorrow. Right, right. So in the in the case of Kickstarter, like, it, it makes a lot of sense that Fangamer would be involved in fulfillment, you know, uh, as far as creating books or, or special editions or shirts or all kinds of these different rewards that are connected to uh, the game in question. Fangamer makes a lot of sense. But how did you guys get into sort of the facilitation and update planning and, you know, a lot of the, the day-to-day stuff that sort of maybe to out, an outsider would seem almost outside of the purview of Fangamer? Oh, I mean, it, it seemed outside of the purview to Fangamer Insiders, too. Um, you know, we were kind of surprised to find ourselves doing it almost. All of us had had experience in this area. Like, we've run two Kickstarters before for ourselves, for our own merchandise. And we've done merchandise fulfillment for a lot of Kickstarters. Uh, but the ca- the campaign stuff was kind of like that story about a frog uh, very slowly boiling in hot water. Uh, we just started <laughs> doing some of it. And uh, we thought, well, we're doing this stuff. We might as well talk about the tears. We did that stuff. We might as well talk about the PR and the campaign planning. And by the end of it, you know, we were planning all the updates and stuff. It helps, I think, that everyone at Fangamer, there's like uh, 15 of us now, does a little of everything. But we also have very particular skills that we came into the company with. Like uh, my wife, Lindsay, she's a professional uh, Japanese to English translator. Um, Okay. Yeah, and so she just, uh, she was another person who was on Starman.net. Everybody knew her, and she just kind of floated into doing Fangamer work. You know, I was before this. I was a uh, I was a sports writer for a while. I was a, a music editor in Alt Weekly. So I had done kind of the other side of PR and of planning um, and scheduling updates. Um, so really, like once we started doing it, um, it became clear that we had the skills to pull it off. But it was never something we uh, you know we, we kind of walked into it by mistake, and we're happy to find ourselves able to do it. 
Okay. Well, I mean, you know, obviously you guys have been doing such an incredible job with it. You know, we've, you know, we've been working together on, on, on many aspects of it, but you guys have been doing some serious heavy lifting and it's been really amazing. How do you guys stay so agile during the Kickstarter? Cause you know, as a team, you have to be agile to react to what fans are thinking and what, you know, what the, the climate is for the Kickstarter at the time. How do you guys stay so agile? Um, a lot of it is just not sleeping, which, you know, obviously I think everyone <laughs> at the campaign has gotten pretty good at, um, <laughs> I think the rest of it is just where, um, you know, we definitely plan ahead and we definitely, we want to have it structured as well as we can going in, but you just, you can't get too attached to something in a, in a Kickstarter because who knows when, um, who knows when things are going to change. Like we spent a lot of time working on those, uh, you know, figuring out with NT, like where, where could we put those stretch goals for the first million? And then, you know, everybody, everybody got through them during the Twitch stream. So <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, you know, it's like, well, I guess, you know, um, I thought that was a month's worth of work we did. Turns out it was about 18 hours. Um, <laughs> so you just kind of have to be willing to go back to the drawing board and, um, figure out what you can do. I mean, it's helped that, all of the stuff that's required to res- require us to reschedule things has been such good news. Like, who's going to get mad about pulling an all-nighter because the fans uh, doubled our estimate of what the Kickstarter was going to be? You know, stuff like that's so exciting that you just you're running on adrenaline. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is, you know, I was talking to in one of our previous episodes, Ben, Dan and I were talking about how our initial impression of the Kickstarter that day one, when things, you know, really blew up the day before, none of us really knew where it was going to go. We really thought, okay, we really hope we hit that 500k initial goal. Like none of us thought like, yeah, we're going to break through that. We're going to make 4 million. No problem. We're going to go home. Everything's going to be totally fine. Like a lot of us were still kind of worried, not really sure where it was going to go. Like how did, how did Fangamer feel about that oh yeah i mean i i can't speak for the rest of fangamer on this one but speaking personally i always do my best work when i'm just have like a constant throbbing low-level anxiety about how things are going to work out <laughs> so that was useful we were in the hotel room in san francisco probably six in the morning getting all those tier graphics finished uh, making sure we had everything finalized and i remember thinking like you know this is uh this is it this is uh it's very tough being in this hotel room getting all this work done on hotel wi-fi but uh, we've put together a month's worth of stuff here. I feel good about it, and hopefully we'll get that 500000 um, And it's, yeah, I think that, like, uh, for me at least, it, it's good not to, not to set your expectations too high and to be just blown away by how well people responded to it. Um, yeah, that, like, got me so motivated as some, like, I have nothing to do with developing the game. I have nothing to do with how excited people are, but I was so excited to just be a part of that excitement. So, I mean, I can't imagine how it felt for, for Ega and NT Creates and uh, for you guys who are working on the, like, the development side of it. But even for us, like, it was just such a shot in the arm. Oh yeah, for for us, it's just been a real amazing roller coaster, and we're really just incredibly excited to be a part of it in any way. So I can join you in saying that definitely, it's a, it's a really really exciting thing to be a part of. Um, but for Fangamer, like going forward, outside of Bloodstain, what do you guys have in store for the future? Um, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, <laughs> it's one we find ourselves asking quite a bit. Um, you know, uh, speaking for me personally, I was, uh, I was working on our next handbook. Like I was doing the writing for that, uh, when this Kickstarter started. So I'm looking forward to getting back to that. Um, you know, we've got, we've got a lot of cool stuff planned, uh, for our, for the Fangamer store. We're doing a lot of work with, uh, indie developers, uh, trying to get their merchandise out and, um, you know, get, get things to the, like really just build things for a fan base. Um, you know, because all of the fan bases, 
that we started off working with. Um, they're ones that you know a big company was able to build, and they're able right. to do that with conventional marketing. With um, you know, they owned the system, that sort of thing. And what we're really interested in is figuring out how to build those fan bases for people. When you know, sometimes it's just you know whether it's just like three guys developing something, uh, you know, or even like uh, the Axiom Verge guys who are basically two people on that team, from what I can tell. Um, you know, how do we? How do we make sure people are connected to games like that in the same way they're connected to uh, the games of the past? And we really approached this the same way. Like, we know people are excited about what Eek is going to do next, uh, but we want them to get excited about Bloodstain and about everything that uh, Eek is excited about. Right. Um, you know, and it's, it's a much different job just because the environment's so much different, uh, but hopefully we can keep doing it. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that I'm I'm really happy for you guys, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what you guys do in the future. Uh, thank you, Dan, uh, for joining us today. It has been a real real pleasure to have you on the show. Glad to be here, and um, sorry, I have no gameplay announcements to make uh, to the to the listeners. Um, no, I apologize. <laughs> I'm just a guy in Tucson. No, it's fine. Maybe we'll have you on a, a future episode uh, when you have some some big megaton announcements. Sure, anytime. Uh, just please uh, email me the announcement in advance because I think otherwise I'm not getting anything. <laughs> All right, sounds good. All right, uh, and we will be right back with uh, more JPlay, the Plays and Podcast, after this. Is our show for this week? Wait a second. Wait, that, I think that's our last show. No, we've got one more show, don't we? I don't think so. Oh my god! I thought there were five shows. I think that. I think the, the no. Don't do this to me, Ben. Don't. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We may have to nego- renegotiate their contract for another show. We'll see. <laughs> uh, I just know that the uh, Kickstarter itself will close out at noon Japan time uh, on Saturday. And that will be the U.S. Friday, which is normally when we would put up a podcast. So uh, we may need to check uh, Nyan and Dan's contract and see if they'll be back. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to ignore Ben, and uh, <laughs> I will ignore, be back. Ignore who? Uh, yeah, who, what are we talking about? Was that somebody right. talking? <laughs> so, I, well, you know what? Let's, let's just do a podcast next week. Let's just do it, all right? Um, and we'll be back next time. Maybe not next week, but next time on J-Play, the Plays and Podcast. Fantastic, guys. See ya. See ya.